Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. We are hosts, Alex and Robbie, back again for another episode. We are in the depressing stage of the year for sports. Baseball is essentially the only sport in full in full go right now. They are just under two months away from the postseason. Um, so we will cover a little bit of baseball today as well as our second segment will involve it as well. Um, but we do want to touch up on the NBA and NFL off season. So let's start in the NFL. Uh, we're actually there's a little bit more going on right now. I'll say we'll start. We'll, let's, let's start a little simple. We'll get a little more complicated as it goes on. Um, there was a, uh, the Cardinals released DeAndre Hopkins earlier in the off season. He had stated his desire to play elsewhere. He has since signed with the Tennessee Titans. Not a lot of people think very much of this, seeing as a few years ago Julio Jones did the same thing and made no noise. Um, we assume Hopkins will do a little bit better than that. But at the at the end of the day, this didn't seem like a game-changing trade for them, even necessarily a division-winning trade for them. Why? Why is that exactly? Well, I think it's this idea of you had A.J. Brown, who is a great receiver. You traded him because you didn't want to pay him the money. You drafted his replacement in Traylon Burks. And last year did not go so well. Early training camp reports have said he's looking a lot better than last year. Okay, good. But then you go out and sign a veteran receiver who is older than A.J. Brown and pay him the money that you would have probably you would probably give an A.J. Brown more. But you're giving a little bit more of a wild card around the same money. And I think that's where that confusion lies. Um, but you're right. We saw Julio Jones a few years ago get a contract with the Titans, you know, still not being the Julio we knew in Atlanta, but. Did not really do anything. I think he had like 600 yards receiving. And the other aspect that doesn't benefit the Titans is the fact that Ryan Tannehill is, we'll say, okay. Derrick Henry is where that offense shines. And Mm -hmm. if you don't get anyone to throw to Hopkins, what's the point of paying him that money? So that's where all that confusion and sort of disbelief lies in. Yeah, especially when a lot of the reports were coming out that one of Hopkins' criteria was was a quarterback that really wants to win, that's really you know cares about his craft, and I don't know if anybody's ever thought that about Ryan Tannehill, at least not in the last couple of years. Maybe he's, maybe he likes Will Levis. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, maybe he wants to win, but Hopkins, I think at this point has established himself as he's a phenomenal receiver one of the best receivers in the NFL when healthy. And I think now the thing missing from his resume is winning a Super Bowl and, you know, having that playoff success that unfortunately definitely didn't have in Arizona. And you kind of got a taste of when he was in Houston, but yeah, I think the Titans are a few years removed from having a chance and I think they're if they go into kind of a rebuild, there's still a few years to get there. So that timetable to me doesn't make sense for him, but he probably went for the money. Yeah, I know the the Patriots had been a team that was was mentioned a little bit, and, and the Jets were probably mentioned in passing, but there was no way that was ever going to happen. 
Um, but no, he, he ends up in Tennessee. So we will see what happens. The, did the Titans end up winning the division last year? No, no. it was the whole That's like the, the Jaguars won. It was the whole like they had to win week 18. That's right. So maybe this puts them over that hump. Maybe it doesn't. But the Jaguars are one of those young teams that are always getting you know, better, especially Trevor Lawrence. So we'll see how it plays out. I don't expect much competition in this division from the Texans or the Colts again. So maybe it did do enough to win the division. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll only, only time we'll be able to tell for this one. Well, I, I think the Colts, you know, running it back, you know, Anthony Richardson and then, you know, Jonathan Taylor will be around next year, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, 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 <laughs> let's, and I say this fully in knowing that we're talking about the Colts. Let's hold, hold our horses there for a minute. Um, <laughs> as the running back situation in the NFL is all over the place. The latest news of it all was, yes, that Jonathan Taylor last night requested a trade or sometime yesterday requested a trade from the Indianapolis Colts. Jimmy Ursay has been very vocal about his uh, desire not to pay running backs and understanding of not paying running backs as the hot debate topic all summer long has been what what is going on with the running back market. Why are running backs not getting paid? Why are third string receivers getting paid more than superstar running backs? Why are we seeing Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook getting released despite obviously having massive contracts, just, but but being very effective players. Zeke just had the most touchdowns in a single season in his whole career and got released. There's a lot of question marks up in the air right now, and I want to pick your brain on this for a second, but in, in a second, but the one thing that I've always able to come back to is that running backs get hit more than everybody else, right? It's It's a much more injury-prone position. And I think something that's being brought to the table is that this isn't really news anymore, though. This isn't anything groundbreaking in terms of running backs. But what we are seeing is is groundbreaking stats from running backs. Top, you know, touchdown records being appeared, incredible rushing yards, um, some of the most carries per game we've ever seen in the NFL by certain running backs. They are getting that magnitude, and we just know that their timetable is a little bit shorter. So why does that mean they don't get that money within you know, that timetable. And that I think is what really has been pushed to the forefront here, but owners aren't budging. And so I want to, I want to now turn it over to you here and think, and really, so we can start to brainstorm, like, what is, why are these people other, it, other than potentially the injury aspect, why are people so against paying running backs? Well, I, the injury one is always going to be the biggest, you know, they are the ground and pound. You need some sort of cohesive run game, I'd say, to get you over the hump a lot of times. Like, competitive teams need to have some run aspects. You know, there's been instances where that hasn't been true for successful teams, but a lot of times it's readily apparent. The thing that I think a lot of individuals don't think about is the game itself has changed, where okay, yes, we know we have gone away from running the ball a ton to more of a passing-focused offensive strategy for a number of teams. But even the opposite aspect is running backs in the heyday, they used to be people, when they got the ball and they had open field, they were going. Mm -hmm. With the way football players have evolved, especially on the defensive side, 
if a running back hits a hole, they may not run all the way. You got linebackers and safeties, you know, running, you know, four, six forties, like they are fast. Mm-hmm. And so to me, to be a good running back to like, you know, Barry Sanders of the world where he's juking everyone, you see all those highlight films averaging five yards a carry. That is so difficult to do. And because of this just evolution of how good defenders and how strong defenders are, you go from that. So they're taking more hits because people are able to get tackled more often. And the game is a lot more difficult for them to break runs. But I think all of this started when none other than one of your favorite players of all time, Le'Veon Bell, kind of ruined it for everyone. Where, Yep, I was going to bring it to that. <laughs> well, actually, Le'Veon Bell was not the one who ruined it. It was James Conner who ruined it. Yeah, but Le'Veon Bell was the start of the whole process. So back in, what was it, 2013, 11? No, later than that. I, I, I thought it was like 14, 15 era. Yeah. Maybe even 16. Yeah, so somewhere right around the end of, end of us in high school, starting us in college, um, Le'Veon Bell was up for a new contract. Le'Veon Bell, at this point, it was him and David Johnson were no question the best running backs in football, and it was because of one reason in particular, and that was they were the best dual threat running backs in football. They weren't just running backs. You could line them up as receivers. Neither of them were exceptionally fast, but they were incredible, incredible uh, with their footwork and with their maneuverability, they, uh, especially Le'Veon Bell, you always saw those almost delayed. It looked like a delayed handoff when it wasn't even a delayed handoff. He just waited. He was just patient. He was very, very smart with the ball. And the Steelers wanted to give him, you know, the regular role. What was it? Four year something or other. Not like $12 million a year max. Something like that. It, yeah, it was probably range of 10 or 12. Yeah, exactly. The franchise tag that he ended up signing to quote unquote um was like 11 or something like that it was like right smack dab in the middle of that he wanted more money i believe if i'm remembering correctly this is a while ago he, he wanted somewhere in the 15 to 16 range which would have made him the highest paid running back of course or i think it might have been him the highest paid running back of all time con- for a single contract mm. um but there was always one knock on Le'Veon bell's career like any running back injuries he he was a very injury prone player he actually was exceptional at not playing in the playoffs because of injuries and the Steelers decided not to give him the big contract but he decided to hold out he decided to say I'm worth it I am absolutely worth this money he never I don't think he ever started a game again he played he, he didn't play another game for the Steelers he played I believe half not even half a season I think four games for the Jets before he got released again and that was it. That was the end of it. And it's sad because at that point in time, Le'Veon Bell absolutely was worth the money he was talking about. And he didn't even have an injury that ruined his career. Or Maybe he would have, but there's no way to tell. But he bet on himself and unfortunately lost. And that's what started all of this is that the Steelers – organization played that correctly and so all other organizations are now seeing that and going oh this is what we have to do because as what you brought up James Connor was the exception of that rule James Connor got paid by the Arizona Cardinals and I guess he did have one Pro Bowl year he does not run the ball very efficiently though he averages I, I think probably under three yards a carry or right around three yards a carry. like it's not great 
He does get a high volume of touchdowns, but this is one of the highest paid running backs in football. And he is a borderline pro bowler. He, he is not somebody that you bring up as one of the top tier running backs. You don't even think of him in the top. I would say I don't even think of him as a top 10, maybe even 15 running back in football. But he's up there. I think he's one of the top five, if not top three paid running backs in the league. And the Cardinals stink. So <laughs> I, I live here. I can attest to it. No Cardinals fan is happy right now. This is what happens. And this is what NFL teams are so scared of, is that you, you pay a guy and it doesn't quite work out the way you want to. And then you then it really hurts because you see a guy like Saquon, who's a lot better than James Conner, have to settle for this one year. I think it, what was it? it basically $10 million, but there was like nine with a $1 million incentive or something, like up to $1 million in incentive, something like that. But a one-year deal for, yes, an injury-prone, but superstar running back, a, a guy who had probably the best year of his career last season. What are they supposed to do? The, he literally came back from a terrible injury, had a great season, and had to settle for a one-year contract when what we're about to talk about with Justin Herbert happened. So <laughs> that, sent, that sends a message to the running backs of the league. Yeah, and you know, from what was told about it, it sounds like they were almost unionizing where they were trying to figure out ways to try and get more money. But it, it's tough because a lot of the success, you know, in the new era of football for a running back can be predicated on the offensive line. The Steelers being a great example of that, where Le'Veon Bell is a good running back, but like that Steelers offensive line was so good that they were able to, those delayed rushes, they were opening holes for him and he, you know, hitting the holes, doing what he should be doing and breaking five yards of carry. Sorry. James Conner was kind of that plug and play where it's like, okay, we have a good offensive line. He may not be as smart and savvy as Le'Veon Bell, but he's still going to get four, four and a half yards of carry with the Steelers. And mm -hmm. that's where it got to be kind of a broken problem where, hey, you can if you have a good offensive line and you have a competent running back, it'll be okay. You may not get the highest value out of it, but if you're paying a guy a million versus fifteen and you're getting half a yard less per play, there's not gonna be a noticeable difference except for the money. Yeah. So it it's it has caused a stir, has caused a problem. There was one footnote that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, Travis Etienne of the Jaguars got asked about what he thinks about running backs not being paid. And what was interesting about it was he didn't really defend the running back position. He kind of mm -hmm. said it in blunt terms like, hey, if you're not getting paid, you got to make yourself valuable. And one way he did say to make yourself valuable is to be more of a pass catching running back, which I get, that's a very important thing. It's why guys like Christian McCaffrey got paid. Alan Kamara got his contract, you know, a few years ago, they do a little bit more and have that dual threat on the flip side of that though. I think it's a little ignorant because no matter 
how good of a pass catcher you are. It depends on your offensive coordinator. It depends on your scheme. If they're not running or if they're not calling screenplays or having you in the slot you're and you're just running the ball, that's unfortunately not on you. You have to do your job. you got to run. I will argue there is some validation to what he's saying in the sense that let, let, let's think about it this way. 20, 20 years ago, nobody in the world would have said that the power forward position wouldn't exist in the NBA. And lo and behold, Tim Duncan would be a center in the modern day NBA because there is no there is no real power forward position anymore. I'm wondering if that is what the power back running back is going to turn into, with the obvious exception of a natural freak like Derrick Henry. I don't think there's I think teams are going away from that natural power back anyway. They're always rostering one. But like you mentioned, a much less expensive one. There's a reason Ezekiel Elliott got cut because Tony Pollard can do both for literally a million a million dollars a year, two million dollars a year, no money. Um, And. I think ETN is a good example because he is great as a pass catching role. And he's a pretty good runner as well. I won't say he's as good as like a Le'Veon Bell type yet, but he's young. Um, that is absolutely a running back. that if he stays healthy, he is going to get paid someday. But there, I think that's unfortunately the way it's going is, is he's right. You have to be able to do both because like you said, the game is becoming pass heavier. You have to do that. And if also, if that's a way for them to stay healthier, why wouldn't they do it anyway? And it's tough because a guy like Dalvin Cook, a guy like Najee Harris, I don't know if they could ever be elite pass-catching running backs when both of them are very, very good just in between the tackle runners. And like I said, there will always be room for that player. But I think the NFL, as sad as it is to say, the NFL owners might be ahead of the curve on this one. They might be realizing that, yes, that role is needed, but that role is not needed for $15 million a year. That role is not even needed for $12 million a year. Hmm. Well, yeah, with that, so we talked, I briefly mentioned it, but yeah, all we'll call it the best of the best running backs, your Nick Chubbs, your Austin Ecklers, your Saquons, you know, all these really good high-profile running backs. They met on Zoom. They were talking about ways to essentially unionize or be able to get more of a fair wage to it. And going back to this, the Eagles are another example of success outside of having to pay a running back a ton of money. You know, when they won the Super Bowl, they had Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette Blunt, uh, Corey Clement, who was a rookie. And then they had Darren Sproles on top of that, who you know, was and, injured. And, at the time. And both Blunt and Jai acquired not at the beginning of the season. Blunt was a free agent signing, but Jai Jai oh. was a mid-season trade. Yeah, yeah, he's like a week four trade or something. I remember that one. Yeah, and you know, obviously having that tandem back system helped. It's not the entire reason why they're unsurable, but they were able to stay healthy, a little bit less load. No running back in that group had an insane season. But nonetheless, still, as a group, did great and looked great for the team. So going back to it, the Eagles this year, they had Miles Sanders up for a new contract. They didn't pay him. He signed with Carolina for about $7 million. They paid – instead, they went out and got um, – oh, boy. Rashad. Rashad Penny. Jeez, I was about to say 
uh, Kenneth Gainwell. Like that's back to that acquisition in a second because that was we're gonna come back to that in a second. Yeah, but where this is all going is the running backs that they now pay for are less or equal to the seven million that Miles Sanders gets paid, and that is for four running backs. Yes, the eagle the Eagles' depth at that position has been. I mean, if it, if it hasn't been started to be studied already, it should be. It's been incredible. Um, but the one thing that the running backs can go back to here is, of all these running backs, this group that the Eagles have right now, they got Swift that they acquired from the Lions, who is a borderline star. They have Penny. They have Scott still there. They have a couple guys that could be competing for these spots. And if you have been watching Eagles training camp so far, who's taking first team reps? The between the tackles runner Rashad Penny. The NFL teams, despite their lack of desire to pay these players, keep coming back to that player. Keep coming back to that guy that can just ground and pound is what they call it. Get in between the tackles and run for four or five yards of carry, regardless of offensive line. And that's what's making this so complicated is that the players know they're coveted. They know their worth and the owners know their worth. They're just simply unwilling to pay. It's almost like the writer's strikes right now. It's like, we know you guys have value. There's just absolutely no reason for us to pay you. So I won't get into that whole mess. <laughs> so going back to the whole, we'll, we'll say unionization or running backs, what can you do? Because let's say that like, is it a situation where the running backs collective needs to meet every few years and negotiate like kind of a like a, a minimum maximum for it like kind of like the franchise tag where the franchise tag is the top five paid positional players at the certain position and you take the average of that and that's your franchise tag but what I worry about is that minimum maximum does it get outdated pretty fast like the quarterback market you know we went from Jared Goff being the highest paid quarterback, making I think it was like high 30s to now with where we're at, we're in the mid to low 50s per year. You know, it's gone up exponentially. It's 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 hard. I I just <laughs> it you're right. No, it, it is tough because if okay, all running backs hold out like hypothetically like we're not doing scabs yeah that's that's the question is like does it ever get so bad that the running backs just come together and are like okay we're not playing because at the end of the day i think teams will just cut them yeah and there'll probably be someone or i mean you could maybe do it like cordero patterson where okay got some receivers super fast but where i'm going back to is do you, it's almost like if you put a position minimum maximum for the running backs, it's going to unfortunately happen to every position. It has and, to. And quarterbacks, I think, change too often where it's like this money is going to have to be renegotiated every year because every good quarterback is getting record-breaking amounts. And I'm at a loss for words because I think maybe the best option is to pay running backs like, receivers and that's not a good option i'll again bring it back to the writer strikes you're they're, they're, they're these these running backs who are doing the dirty work of the team that are winning the game in the trenches for these teams 
getting paid fractions of what they're watching their Daniel Jones quarterbacks get paid. They're, they're, I forget which player said it, but their bottom tier, I think it was Le'Veon Bell, said Daniel Jones was a bottom tier quarterback, which is arguably true, getting paid millions and millions of hundreds and millions of more dollars than Saquon Barkley, who is no question a top five, top 10 running back in the NFL. And I think that's a good good idea that you've come to with, with almost setting a maximum. And I actually argue that instead of starting with running back, that those minimum maximums need to start at the quarterback position because, like you said, it's the most fluctuating position anyway. So set a maximum to the point where everybody can make $200 million, for example, and you can get offered all the way up to this and you can maybe incentives can go past that. But if that's the case, then well, if we're going off of Justin Herbert's $262 million contract, there's $62 million more million you could be paying your running back. Or, you know, in Junior's sake, to his third, fourth receiver. But it, exactly, at least compensating them to the point where they feel like a wide receiver. No one needs quarterback money, and no one questions that the quarterback does the most to win a game for a team, individually speaking. But, man... Running backs have gotten no love, and at some point, I don't think a formal strike would happen, but I do think you'll start to see more Le'Veon Bell situations pop up where more players just decide, I'll wait a year. And hopefully it doesn't ruin their careers like it did Le'Veon. Going back to it, though, it, but like if you have a running back position, like, okay, all the top top 20 running backs hold out. They're in a collective. They're holding out. It's got to be every possible running back or else that strike. You know, th- There will be teams that will pay their running backs, but there are options. You know, if Miles Sanders held out, Howie Roseman can be like, all right, I'll get Rashad Penny. I'll get DeAndre Swift because they're cheaper and they can do just about the same in tandem. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue, too, is there's always those diamond in the rough players, too. Like Rashad Penny at first was at last at the beginning of, I think, two years ago with the bottom of the Seahawks depth chart. A couple injuries come in. All of a sudden, he's the guy in charge. That happens a lot in the NFL, especially like you mentioned, going back to what you said before, a team with a good offensive line. You don't need to have a great running back. You need to have a competent running back. And that's why I don't think a formal strike or formal unionization would truly work in their favor. because. I think that actually plays more into the owner's hands. I think I, I, it's tough because what, what what should happen is that the running backs go out there, prove how much money they make, the owners see it, and pay them. But that's obviously not something that's ever going to happen. And that's what's so complicated here. That's why I like your idea of minimum minimum contracts per position, but working out the financial aspect of it sounds like at least a, a five-year debate between the Players Association and the owners. Yeah. Let me throw out one more idea, and then you know, we can go on to a different topic. But do you do a minimum for the position, maybe like per years of service and maybe some sort of like qualify? Like, OK, your top guys, the minimum for the top guys who have exceeded a thousand yards per season get X amount versus you're just schlubs. It's but, kind, kind of the, the super max deal in the NBA. If you made an all NBA team, you can get more money. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. Um, but then. Do you add, like, call it an incentive-based part of the contract where it's like, but the incentives start when you get into the league. Like, 
those your Saquon Barkley's, your Ezekiel Elliott's, who had great rookie seasons, mm-hmm. being like, okay, here's your base salary where you maybe get eight million per year depending on where you're drafted, but if you exceed certain thresholds, like you get over a thousand yards, you make a, I don't know a million dollars or two million dollars or something along those lines to kind of help protect those good seasons and get them compensated maybe a little more fairly that way maybe they get a big deal but if they're not getting a big deal they're not trying to really scrounge for it like Saquon is doing right now yeah no um I don't mind that I also think that incentives are the whole key to this system working because the other thing is I think almost for the owner's sake too to give them a little reason to do this um, let's say, let's get off running back for a second. Let's say you've had a wide receiver who's had four straight thousand yard seasons and he doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I think after a certain threshold, a certain point for the player that needs to go up for his incentive, he needs to now start having 1500 yards or, you know, 1200 yard receiving seasons to be able to get this incentive. And maybe that incentive will go up accordingly as well. But, you know, DeAndre Hopkins getting a thousand yards at the prime of his career was not a difficult thing for him to do. Right. And at some point, that would be an unfair thing, for an unfair benefit to the players. But if it would progress with them, and, and that would be the most interesting aspect for the running back is, you know, you've hit your progression, but then have you also hit your, your I'm going to get injured now point. And it's interesting, but I think it could really help because then you could do also, like we meant, like I just said, with the All-NBA teams, you know, the all pro teams, they can get the big money. They can be your you know, 200, $300 million contracts that we see. And, and we're not quite to $300 million in the NFL yet. But um, I don't know. I think that's the groundwork there. I think that's the best way forward. But I just, I think right now, at least for this year, we're just heading towards a lot of individuals holding out. Like Josh Jacobs does not seem like he's going to be playing to start this season. Um and that one's really interesting because Josh Jacobs had, I mean, boy, did he save a lot of people's fantasy seasons last year. And for Oakland of all teams not to give him that money, the team that, I mean, he, draft, he got drafted with him. He's been great for them every year. And for them to not want to pay him, I mean, that, that says it for running backs right there. There's no more loyal you can be. There's no better. He has not really dealt with injuries like Saquon or anything like that. Something's got to change, and the running backs, unfortunately, have to be the spearhead of that change. All right, let's move off of this. This is this is, this is how deep this can get. This is we could go way further down this rabbit hole too if we wanted to. Um, one more thing though, we do want to. I got a couple more things we want to get to in the NFL quickly. We, I, I referenced Justin Herbert's contract. This was a big talking point of the season off season as well. Justin Herbert, Chargers quarterback, signs a five-year, two hundred sixty-two million dollar contract. He and her, uh, excuse me, he and uh, Joe Burrow were seemingly waiting for each other to sign. So we we do assume Joe Burrow is going to sign uh, his contract extension relatively soon. And, and, um, however, the other part of this was some offseason injuries kicked in. Joe Burrow was one of those victims, so it may take a little bit longer than anticipated. Let's let's start with Herbert here. Well deserved or a bit of a stretch. I would say a bit of a stretch unless you ignored playoffs. There. I, it, he's fine. The Chargers are progressing in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, last year's playoff meltdown, I 
can't say it was all Herbert's fault whatsoever, but there seems to be minimal success so far, not making the playoffs and then getting, having a pretty good season and melting down with a like 28 to three lead or whatever it was, you know, it's been so long, but yeah, I just, it's good to have locked him in because Joe Burrow is going to be up for extension. And if Joe Burrow signed his beforehand, there may be a school of thought being like, we need to reset the market by giving Herbert more money. So if Joe Burrow's contract was five years, 270 million, the Chargers front office may be like, maybe we need to give him a little bit more. So I think they save themselves probably potentially 2 million a year, which is good. Um, He's talented. We had this discussion though, when Lamar was getting his contract, where I think he's worth, being paid good money, but not that much. So yeah. that's where I'm at. I agree with that completely. I had Justin Herbert on my fantasy team last year, and it was one of the most depressing things ever because God, is he good at getting the ball to the three yard line and then handing it off to Austin Eckler. Man, is he good at that? Um, which doesn't bode well for fantasy success, but he, like you said, he's a very good quarterback. He is absolutely above average. Um, he, he is worth lots and lots of money. He might not be worth being paid like the highest paid quarterback in football money. I think that's or or one of the highest paid quarterbacks. That's, that's the stretch there. Um, so we'll see how that plays out for them. But you're right; they have been trending in the right direction. They finally got into the playoffs at least, so that was a, that was a good step for them. We'll see how they do this year. Although the AFC is looking mighty difficult as of right now. I'm sure I'll still predict the Steelers to make the playoffs, though. Don't worry. Um, but the last thing I do want to talk about in the NFL before we move on quickly is the concept of we've seen a lot of early preseason injuries so far. I mentioned Joe Burrow. He's already uh, scheduled to miss several weeks. Jalen Ramsey of the Dolphins, he's going to miss six, uh, six to eight weeks. Kadarius Tony, not that he's made of glass or anything, but he got hurt again. John Ross retired. Sony Michelle retired. Those are irre- those are separate. I don't think they were injury related, but um, we're seeing players go down kind of early here. Is there something off about how the NFL is approaching kind of their, their their off season and their ramp ramp up to the to the start of the preseason? Um, no, I don't think so. This happens every year, and. I guess what I would say to it is if it doesn't happen in the preseason, what's stopping it from happening in the regular season? Because, you know, Joe Burrow straining his calf, you scary. It's not what you want to see as a Bengals fan, but what's stopping it from happening week one? Exactly. And that's way more detrimental. Yeah. And, you know, I guess an argument can be made that maybe the conditions for a training camp may be like too hot. But, and I think, that's why you have your medical staff on standby. You're also making sure to give people water and making sure they're not being overworked. And I'm, I'd say no, like football is inherently a dangerous sport and you're going to have injuries. Unfortunately, I don't think that there was any sort of catalyst or cause with something the NFL is doing differently versus other years where these people have gotten injured. It's training camp. You're gearing up for the start of the season. You're getting the new personnel in. 
you're learning new plays, you're learning how to play well with people. That stuff happens. It's not people being negligent. In fact, they're not really hitting each other at full force. Yeah. So. I yeah. I think I think you're right. I I think it's unfortunate when we see especially start really great star players like Joe Burrow, Jalen Ramsey go down early. But I, I like you said, it, it could have happened in week one. It could have happened in week seven, which could have been so much worse for these teams. So get it out of the, get it out early. Get your body ready and prepared for what's coming. All right, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. Uh, did Jonathan Taylor of the Colts did request? Uh, we, oh, we, we did talk about the Jonathan Taylor trade request. That was the most recent thing that had happened with the running back market. So we'll keep you updated on kind of how that goes and if anything does change or if running backs do start to get paid. Uh, it does seem like Alvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott are close to signing with teams, the uh, Jets and the Patriots respectively. So we'll 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 see where that ends up. The Jets are clearly rearing up for some kind of you know, 2009 reunion, but whatever, it's fine. Um, we're going to move off to the off to the NBA now as there's still a little bit to talk about despite the fact that the NBA offseason has hit a bit of a lull. Uh, summer League is over. The, the main burst of, of free agent signings has ended. It kind of ended in the first five minutes of free agency. Um, so we, we talked a lot last episode about the Damian Lillard trade request uh, basically demanding to be sent to the Miami Heat, claiming he won't play for any other team, and and the rumor that his agent was, or seemingly true rumor that his agent was calling teams and saying, "Do not trade for Damian Lillard. He will not play for you. He will not be happy here. He will not do it." So the league sent out a notice to all 30 teams saying, "You cannot do this. We cannot have players and agents going out and calling organizations. Basically." spouting off non-compliance like you're an NBA player you're under contract you have to do your job at the end of the day this is their job and where it is always always in the player's ability to hold out and to not physically take the court there is something to probably be said about outwardly saying to teams I'm not going to play for you not even not even the team calling and saying no he doesn't want to play for you is the agent going out calling prospective suitors and saying do not do this it will not go your way i believe that is what the nba is really aiming to get rid of i think they would love to get rid of trade requests in general but at this point it's really this is a business this is a profession um they do have to have to keep some sense of order (laughs) and as much as i want damian lillard on the miami heat more than the only thing I want more is Dwayne Wade to unretire in the prime of his career. I would love it so much. I don't want it at the at the cost of the integrity of the league. I I think this was actually the right thing for the league to do to say this is we we're not gonna let this lie. Wow, look at you. Sure. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I think too. Like I, I agreed. We're outwardly telling people I won't play for you is. Very just, it's immature. It's not the right thing, especially when, you know, I'm sure money would be taken off of this contract, but like it, your contract's fully guaranteed. Um, I also was reading, you know, people are like, well, what's this different from Paul George saying, let's play in LA or Anthony Davis not wanting to go to the Celtics. I would say that, from my understanding with the Anthony Davis case, it's like one year left in this contract. If you trade for me, 
I'm not re-signing with you, which mm-hmm. you play there for a year, you get a one-year rental, but is that investment of giving up assets worth it? Most likely not. And like you said, it's not outwardly stated. Maybe not the best in terms of the integrity, but at least you play and fulfill your duty. If you don't want to sign with them, hey, power to you. Um, but, a great example of that is Kawhi Leonard. He did not want to play in Toronto. He did, and he won a championship, and then he got paid, paid by L.A. Yeah. Um, Paul George, you know, he said he wants to play in L.A. I know that sounds like, oh, he just wants to go to the Clippers. Well, Lakers are there. I'm not saying he'd want to play for them or would have played for them, but there are options. And even before that, he wanted to go to L.A. when he was in the Pacers and then got shipped to OKC, played there for two years, and then, you know, the whole quad situation broke down. So what I'm getting at is I think the way it was handled was a little too aggressive, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, power move, though, like to fix the whole situation would have been Dame firing his agent and being like, that's him. I'll play wherever. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah. I'll play wherever as long as it's sunny and in South Florida. <laughs> Orlando, baby, we're going. I believe I still I like to always bring this up. I, I, LeBron James said he would retire rather than play for the Orlando Magic, and I I think as an NBA player I would probably feel the same way. So uh, wait, actually, so that's all I have for Dame. But speaking of LeBron, this is not NBA related, but. Bronny James had a cardiac arrest in one of USC's practices, which is terrifying, to say the least. Terrifying. He has thankfully already been discharged from the hospital. He lost no, 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 nothing, nothing cognitively, not cognitively affected him or damaged, which was great. Um, the really disturbing news that I read was this is the second year in a row that this has happened at a USC workout. This year it was Ronnie James, and last year, I'm going to butcher his name, but it was Vincent Uwachufu, um, the center. That's that. I know it is hot in California. I'm on the West Coast. I understand that it is very hot right now. You need to be hydrating, and I can't entirely blame USC for this maybe just coincidence. But it, it is something that should, I, I think, maybe be lightly looked into just in, in – I don't think anything's malicious happening. I think it's just maybe check their safety standards, check the temperatures of their gym, stuff like that. Um, because because it, it's, it's worrisome, especially when it comes, you know, it, it gets put way up more in the media when it's LeBron James' son than when it's any random college player. But it is happening, and it does happen. And it's, it's important, too, for the player to know how far they can push themselves. But at the end of the day, we don't want this happening at all, right? So, so – Hopefully this is a moment that USC took to kind of recollect. But what really is important here is that, you know, LeBron, Bronny is okay. He's back at home. Uh, there's no exact word yet on when he's going to resume basketball activities. Um, it's, it's not entirely certain if he'll be fully ready to start the year. Um, but it, it doesn't, I haven't seen anything that says he's going to miss any bit of the year yet. So we'll see. I, I'm sure they're going to they're gonna take their time. Um, but yeah, very, very, very happy and thankful that that nothing, nothing worse than than just passing out and having to go to the hospital is what happened there. Hundred percent. But if he doesn't, you know, something like that could prevent you from never playing basketball again. That would 
not to sound just selfish, but that would throw a huge wrench in the draft for next year, and that bothers me because I really want to see what happens with Bronny James's draft stock with his dad wanting to play with him. So, if LeBron can hold out four more years, he got another chance. <laughs> yeah. No, if Glide's okay. Yes. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens because the USC team is locked and loaded, and I definitely want to see him play, but if he wasn't to play this season, it wouldn't be the end of the world for them. So who knows? Here's the deal. There's a chance Bronny wasn't going to be playing in the first place. They got Isaiah Collier, who's unbelievably, no doubt, the starting point guard. They have Boogie Ellis, who's returning for for a senior year. Uh, there's not a lot of room in the front court there. Maybe he's the backup point guard, but it's always tough for a freshman. Obviously, name value brings a lot to the table. Bingo. Uh, I'm sure he would play. I just don't know if he'd be a regular part of the rotation, especially come tournament time you have to earn that as a freshman um but regardless both Bronny and usc should should take the cautious route here take take you know take all go go all through the safest precautions to make sure he comes back fully healthy and it's not a rush job all right last bit of basketball news here before we conclude this this week's show with baseball actually is one of the grossest things I could possibly imagine. And that was somebody got paid $300 million to be an NBA basketball player. Not only that, he got paid $300 million to be the second best player on a basketball team. That is Jalen Brown. It waited all off season. Um, My guess was it was deciding if he was going to become the highest paid player of all time. And he absolutely was. He's gone to the NBA Finals. He's been to multiple conference finals. He's been in the playoffs every single year of his career so far. The thing that gets me, though, is he's always played second fiddle to Jason Tatum. This is is Jason Tatum money. This is LeBron James money. This is Giannis money. It's hard. I know basketball gets so much money put into it, especially with all these TV deals now, but it's so hard for me to think it's worth paying your second best player $300 million. The Sixers got... In, in, a, in a bad situation, is the nice way I'll put it, when they paid Tobias Harris all the money that they paid him. I don't think that's going to happen here. But it does financially cripple you a little bit. And it's been made very clear that Tatum and Brown can't win a championship alone. And they're going through a full-on identity shift now with changing out Smart for Porzingis. I think it was it was always going to happen. I think it was a smart move for Boston, but... I don't I don't think this is going to be one of those contracts that people end up looking back on positively. Yeah, I think in terms of value, it's not going to be. But I, you're handcuffed with these Supermax. We, we talk about it every year. Before Miles Bridges' suspension, we're like, the Hornets kind of are forced to pay him. They shouldn't. But to keep your homegrown stars, you sort of have to. And it's funny because Jalen Brown will be the second best player on the Celtics team as long as Jason Tatum's there. But his accolades show that if you took those accolades and put them on another team, you'd expect that team to have won a championship. Yeah. So you kind of had to pay him. But like you said, it'll be problematic next year when they give Jason Tatum his money. and. It's I, I'm curious to see where the salary cap goes. And then on top of that, 
what Boston is going to do with all that money. Because you also have Porzingis making 30-some million a year who will be up in the near future, too. And Rockin makes double digits as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of money getting thrown around in just a couple of players. Robert Williams will be due up for a new deal soon. They got a lot to worry about. Yeah, Robert Williams will be gone. That's true. But either way, we'll see what Boston's able to manage. We know they're going to be competing regardless. But like I said, a bit of an identity shift. Highlight of the contract, Jalen Brand will be making $69 million in year five of the deal. Nice. All right. Moving moving right along here. If uh, anything else you want to mention for NBA or basketball in general? I think that's it. All right, man. All right. We don't, we don't talk about baseball too, too often here. However, with the season... Beginning its wind down, I'll say, not quite yet, about 58, 60 games left for most teams. Um, we're going to start to talk about it a bit more here. We talked about the All-Star uh, uh, setup a bit before. Um, tra- was it the trade deadline or was it just a couple trades getting thrown around right now? The trade deadline is August 1st, but it's so around the corner, like yeah. Tuesday. Yep. So essentially trade deadline time here uh, in baseball. So a couple couple big names have already been thrown around um if, if you're reading twitter you know that max scherzer the biggest one of them all uh, max scherzer who had signed with the mets that didn't go so well he now gets sent to the rangers to i guess replace the injured jake de um but unbelievable to see uh, that happen the, the i believe it just officially went through just around when we started recording here maybe a little bit before um, Rangers have made some power moves in the last couple of years to, to kind of reestablish themselves as a real force in the AL. Um, where does this trade put them in terms of your thoughts about winning, winning the AL or even winning a World Series? Uh, or with the Rangers getting, getting to a World Series and calling it a day. It's, it's a good step. Like they have, are having a great season. They have a lot of talent on their team. It's bolstering that and pushing forward for the chance to win a World Series in the near future. And we're talking within two years, we'll call it. Um, I mean, the Phillies did this with Cliff Lee, you know, when they were pushing. Uh, you know, Roy Howard is another example, but the year after. So, I mean, I think it's a good move to bolster their pitching and – a guy like Scherzer who is doing well on the Mets might as you know, and the Mets are struggling beyond belief. You might as well. Mm-hmm. They're what they give up for him. It was their like the fortieth ranked prospect or something like that. I th- it's yeah, he's the forty fourth overall prospect. Uh, Luis Angel Acuna. I think he's related to Ronald Acuna. He is the younger brother. Of yeah. Ronald. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. Um, so they're getting a prospect, which may be good for the Mets. You know, the Mets really went all in in this idea of we're going to spend money to beat everyone, kind of like what the Dodgers and Yankees have done over the years. Okay. And it has blown up in their face tremendously. So this is their way of getting out of it. I, I like the deal on both sides where the Mets are not going to compete this year. You might as well send pieces where I can. And for the Rangers, 
go in, try and win it. You're in first in the AL West. This is your chance. No, especially trading a guy like Scherzer, who as dominant as he is, he's older. He he, yeah. he only has a handful of years of service left in him. Um, so so he yeah, I I think that was absolutely the right move. Um, also just going back to his second dude, R.I.P. Roy Halladay. That that sent me for a second. I, I hadn't thought about him in a minute. That that hurt. I cut deep. Um, to to kind of go back to trade, but yes, R.I.P. Roy Halladay. Uh. Do you think that this trade was a byproduct of all the Angels stuff where, okay, Otani was maybe on the trade block and they don't trade him. They end up going all in, you know, getting the White Sox trades that we'll talk about momentarily. Do you think that this was them feeling threatened by not only the Astros who are still playing decent this year, but also the Angels being like, all right, we're going to push for a playoff berth because they're five games back in the division, I think. Yeah, yeah, five five games, or at least so, five so, yeah. games out of the wild card right now. Um, yeah, five games out of the wild card, six in the division. Um, I think it's that. I also think it's two-ply. I think also they were looking for a, a Max Scherzer-type player to solidify themselves as one of the true, true contenders. And the Angels had briefly put Shohei Otani up on the trade block. I bet the Rangers were absolutely considering what they could do to go get him. And then when they learned he is no longer available, they said, well— it's a lot easier to go get Max Scherzer anyway. Cool. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that brief moment of Shohei on the table from the Angels probably did get a lot of teams excited, and especially a team like the Rangers that could bolster themselves and diminish one of their their steepest competitions in their own division at the same time in one move. I think this was retaliation for them taking Shohei off the trade block. Okay. But um, like you mentioned, the Angels did decide to end up kind of saying, all right, we're going to go for it this year. We're not that far off. We have two of the best players in baseball. It was, is Mike Trout even playing? Who knows? Um, they go out to the White Sox. They get Lucas Giolito, who's been a sensational pitcher over the last few years. Um, I think it's a great move. But I will I will do what every baseball fan is saying, thinking right now. It's the Angels. They're going to find a way to make it irrelevant. They're, they're going to find a way for Shohei Otani to pitch a one-hitter, hit two home runs, and lose five to four. Like It's, it's just how it goes. And I want to see the Angels in the playoffs so darn badly just for the sake of not having another Calvin Johnson in sports. Right? That was so depressing to see someone who is pretty much definitively the best wide receiver of all time and made the playoffs, I think, twice or once in his whole career. I don't want that to happen to the Angels. I think Trout has made one play-in game and lost. And maybe he's made one playoff series otherwise. Shohei has not been to the playoffs. I don't know if he was in that seven, the COVID year one. I don't think so. Um, I want to see these guys competing when it matters most. That's the most exciting part about sports, when the best players are competing at the highest stage. What does LeBron James always say the best two words in sports are? Game seven. Because that's the highest, highest intensity of sports you can get. I want to see Shohei in these moments. I want to see Trout in these moments. I don't think we're going to. (laughs) It's so sad. It's so hard. Because the Angels have also been terrible since we've been kids. And there's been so many teams, like the Padres, that were terrible, terrible, terrible when we were kids and are great now. The Diamondbacks are awesome now all of a sudden. It still hasn't happened with Angels. 
terrible, terrible stuff going down there. Who knows what's going on in L.A.? Uh, we'll let you know uh, with the deadline coming up in two days, essentially. We'll we'll let you know in our next episode if any other major moves get made. But those were those were the two, I'd say the two blockbuster deals so far of the of the deadline timetable. And and we would be remiss here to, to talk about baseball and not mention our fan favorite Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Phillies in a very very familiar spot for themselves. They are currently sitting fifth place in the NL right now. Um, Broken down to the east, that doesn't that's not quite right. They are 56 and 48 with again just under 60 games left to go. I'm feeling fairly confident. Bryce is playing, at least in the DH slot. The pitching's been alright. The hitting's been a little inconsistent, but we're 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 doing I I actually feel it this team feels a little stronger than last year as of right now. I want to get your thoughts on it though. Well, the pitching, in my opinion, is actually significantly better than last year. The big problem that you hit the nail on the head about was the hitting has been super inconsistent. Um, it's it's the entire lineup. Schwarber has been very hot and cold this year. Bryce injury was very cold for a bit. Is starting to get back to his ways. Um, not having Reese Hoskins the entire year is a tough one too. Uh, I will bring up two other players. Alec Baum's been having a good year. I'll bring up two players that have been disappointments, and it's been Trey Turner, who has just not found any groove this year, which is a bummer, and Nick Cassianis, who has been spotty. He has had his moments where he has looked like the Reds' Nick Cassianos, and then there the moments where he looks like the World Series last year, where he did uh, was really it, was, it was last year's regular season, Nick Cassianos. Yeah, so it, it's tough, but they are winning games, which is awesome to see. It's just the pitching has been doing a great job. It's the hitting needs to get back to where it was last year, because if they combine both together you have a playoff team that is ready to make a run. And that is very, very scary, but they got to figure out this lineup. And also too, they're fifth right now. If they hypothetically do not make the playoffs, I also wouldn't call for Rob Thompson's head, barring any major collapse from rest of the season. And yeah, unless it's like we get to a point where it looks like it's pretty much solidified. And then like, we're, we're like five or six games up with, three weeks left and then we blow that that, that would be like i consider it but if it's just this tight all i mean it's really close in in the nl right now and if it stays this tight and we end up missing by a game or two it was yes. still a good year it's tough to make the playoffs in baseball yeah all right uh one thing we just want to mention for fun is that the orioles have the best record in the al i don't think we have ever been able to say that in our lifetime so that's just really great um Adley Rushman Cedric Mullins um Ryan Mountcastle tons of talent tons of young talent on that Orioles team if the Phillies don't win the World Series I would personally love the Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series yeah I like that all right if I am not mistaken that is going to bring us to the conclusion of our news segment portion of the episode it's a little sprinkling of everything there for you a little football a little basketball a little baseball However, we did purposely end with baseball as we are going to try a new version of grid trivia here, grid tic-tac-toe the way we play it, uh, baseball. As this is, we, we've struggled with football. We've done, a little, I, I think, at least a little better with basketball. We're going to try our hand here with a third sport. We're going to give baseball a shot. 
Um, so I'll turn it over to you to explain the board here. I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing so far, so take it away. I, yeah, I need to be candid with everyone. Our basketball knowledge combined is probably the best. That's why I've been doing all those grid trivias, you know, weekly and trying to do those. Football is a little lacking. It's more so there's just so many players and you don't know where some people have gone. Baseball, hypothetically, is probably our worst. So this was not just a completely random grid. I did make it kind of easier. I put the Phillies in there that we just talked about to make it not painful for anyone watching. But also to to baseball fans, this is probably painful because it's like I could do this in 30 seconds. So (laughs) it's a competition of wits. We're not doing the typical fill in the board. Maybe if we get to that, we'll try. But this is our version. This is tic-tac-toe. So we're going for blockers. We're trying to get three in a row. Once that happens, we'll try and fill in the rest of the board. But I usually let you choose who goes first. I want to go first this one, and you'll see why momentarily. I would like to start with the Red Sox and Phillies. Bastard. Because I'd be remiss to not say Clay Buckholz. Okay, I will only let you go with Clay Buckholz because of who he is. Because in my head, the only thing I saw when I saw this board was Shane Victorino. And I'm a yeah. little bit sad. But <laughs> I will, I will, Clay Buckholz is literally the only name you would have gotten away with. That's right. And for yeah. anyone who pays attention to our lore here, I Robbie, when I first met him, coerced me into joining a fancy baseball league that I hated because I had to do lineups constantly. And... I didn't draft well because I knew nothing about baseball at the time. Sure enough, I picked up Clay Buckholz off the waivers, and Clay Buckholz was incredible for my team. (laughs) Yes, he was. All right. You're up. I do have to do a little bit of double-checking with baseball. I promise I'm not not cheating. I just have to not sound like a complete and utter idiot. Um, So... Um, I wanna, I wanna say, hang on. I feel, I feel like Nelson Cruz belongs on here somewhere. Oh my God! Not quite. Okay, never mind. That's good. I'm glad. See that? That? That's what I'm saying. I was, I wasn't quite sure. Um. Oh. Cole Hamels was a Yankee for a hot second, right? Was he? I know he was a Ranger uh, and a Philly, but... I know he was a Cub. Oh, that's right. He was a Cub. He played for the following teams. Nope. Phillies, Rangers, Cubs, Braves. And I got one more before I'm about to have to toss it over to you. I told everyone we weren't good at this. I know. I know. I got got one, one idea here. Find the teams you played for. Oh, oh, you threw him on the same line. I got confused for a second. I was gonna say Jacoby Ellsbury, but there's no option for him. Um, yeah, I will. Uh, oh wait, no, I can do one at least. The Boston Red Sox Cy Young Award winner, um, Chris Sale. Chris Sale. All right. Sorry, kind of forgot about Cy Young. No, you're good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do the middle one to assert my dominance. Uh, we're going to go with, uh, 
Detroit and Washington. We just talked about him momentarily. Max Scherzer. Oh, yeah. Easy. Solid one right there. Um, I'm trying to remember somebody's name. Also, as a note, I know you did Chris Sale for Cy Young. We we kind of went back and forth when we did the NFL one. For the sake of the grid rules, if they won a Cy Young and played for like the Red Sox, for example, you can put them. So it doesn't doesn't need to be someone who won it on the Red Sox. It can be someone who won it and also played for the Red Sox. Yeah, I got I, I thought so. Um, so that's that's awesome. I pre- I very much appreciate that. Um, oh, you know who would be. There are so many for Phillies and Red Sox. I literally can only keep coming up with Phillies and Red Sox. I just came up with, um, oh, who was that closer? We Jonathan Papelbon is just. Yep. Oh wait, did he play for the Yankees? I don't think so, but I'll look it up real quick. Everyone goes to the Yankees. Exactly, that's what I thought. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Wikipedia this one real quick. No, but he does work for Red Sox and Nationals. He played for the Nationals in his last year of his career. So Jonathan Papelbon. All right. Um, not that I didn't should have stopped you or anything, but I'll 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 mess with you a little bit. Uh, Phillies Tigers, Placido Polanco. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. I'm so happy you said that. Placido Polanco was one of the most fun players to ever use in the show because he was so unnecessarily good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do, I do. unfortunately, I, I didn't realize it before. I do actually know um, a way to stop your little little, little winning row here. So the CC Sabathia for the Yankees and uh, Cy Young winner. All right. I guess I can stop one of them. I'm sure you have had a Yankee and a Philly locked and loaded. I keep trying to figure one out. I don't know why I can't. Um. I'm thinking even easier. I'm going to go down here for the tires. And I feel like Justin Verlander just makes sense for that. And we need to finish it. Yeah. I get you. That's fair. I only did that because I had to stop you. I couldn't let you win like that. But we still have the Yankees parts that we can fill in now and go from there. Who was that? There was a Nationals catcher that I'm blanking on the name that ended up playing for a bunch of different teams at the end of his career. I feel like the Yankees might have been one of them. Uh, well, it was Brian Schneider who played for every NL East team, but I don't think <laughs> ever left the NL East. No, he was – I think he was Japanese. Kurt something, I think. Kurt Suzuki? Kurt Suzuki, yeah. Did he play for the Yankees? I think he I think he did. He did no. not. Nope. Never mind. <laughs> he played for a lot of other AL teams. <laughs> huh. Phillies and Yankees. Someone, some Phillies fan is watching this and screaming at us. Uh-huh. 
Well, is there? Let's think about pitchers here, because did Pedro ever play for the Yankees? I don't think so, but he was a Red Sox Philly guy. Yeah. Um. Philly's I feel like there's a pitcher that I'm blanking on that's bothering me. Was oh who's Dull? Um. Wait. I think I know. Um, damn. I found a really, really, really good one for Phillies Nationals, which isn't on, but I want to say it anyway. Joey Blanton. Yeah, I, I hate that. <laughs> and I won't even acknowledge that that was an answer because, like, Kyle Schwarber exists. I know, I know. Phillies and Nationals would have been too easy, but I just, I looked up Joey Blanton, and I was like, did he play for the Yankees randomly? Hmm. Oh. Th- think back to 2020 for the Phillies. Think about their infield. Gene Segura? No. One over. Um, shortstop. Who's our short? Oh, oh, wait, no, not Cesar Hernandez. Um, no. Well. Oh, not Freddie Galvis. No, I'm thinking Didi Gregorius. Oh, I totally forgot Didi Gregorius existed. He was so bad for the Phillies. <laughs> That's a good one, though. That's Nationals and. Nationals and Yankees, I feel like, is fairly feel like true. Like, like a like outfielder or something. Oh, you'll like this one. Ready? All right. I'll, I also got a really, really good one. I'll let you go first, though. Alfonso Soriano. I do like that. Xavier and 80. I hate that. <laughs> This is why we can't have nice things. This is exactly why we need nice things. <laughs> All right, but there you have it. Um, you did significantly better than me. Um, probably could have won in three different ways if you really wanted to. But <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to brush up on baseball a little bit. But there you have it, our first uh, attempt at a uh, baseball grid trivia. So... We'll keep cycling between basketball, football, and baseball. I think we like going on the ones that are in off season. So, so we, we may we may resort to a little more football and basketball while baseball is going on, and then we'll, we'll we'll switch over to baseball once it's more in off season mode. Again, um, but it's a fun game that we we found. It seems that there's a, a Twitter account that's kind of blown up with a similar game, a little different than we play it, but similar in vein. So check them out if you haven't. Um, but yeah, we uh, we're we're kind of almost. I wouldn't say enjoying this lull in sports because obviously as sports fans, we're, we're missing football. We're missing basketball. We, we, we want baseball playoffs, you know, we miss hockey. Um, but honestly, it's a little nice, a little reprieve for us here. We can kind of sit back and relax a little bit. FIBA championships are going on for basketball right now. World Cup uh, is gearing up for soccer. So we'll, we'll, we'll get some more stuff coming soon. But for now, well, a little easier period for us, so in, in, in enjoy life itself. You know, maybe we'll do another life episode at some point before the season starts. That never hurts. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, yeah, you you, you got to see Barbenheimer. That's mm-hmm. that's that's good news. That's always fun stuff. But that's that's the point. Enjoy life while you have time, and you're not sitting on your couch watching football because that's coming soon. Don't worry. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. We'll be back with you next time. But until then, have be awesome. Keep being awesome. Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone.